The following is brought to you with no commercial interruptions. Listen now. A reading from Genesis chapter 38, verses 8 through 10. And Judah said unto Onan, Go in unto thy brother's wife, and perform the duty of a husband's brother unto her, and raise up seed to thy brother. And Onan knew that the seed would not be his. And it came to pass, when he went in unto his brother's wife, that he spilled it onto the ground, lest he should give seed to his brother. And the thing which he did was evil in the sight of the Lord, and he slew him. The term Onanism, which traces its origin to these biblical verses, was most likely coined to refer to masturbation in the 1716 pamphlet entitled Onania, or the heinous sin of self-pollution and all its frightful consequences in both sexes considered with spiritual and physical advice to those who have already injured themselves by this abominable practice. And with a title like that, how could you possibly have room in your pamphlet for anything else? Whether it's playing with yourself, winking, diddling, jacking off, jelling off, fapping, beating your meat, pulling your pud, spanking the monkey, playing the clitar, making the bald man cry, dating Miss Michigan, cranking it, flicking the bean, dotting the eye, dancing with yourself, petting the kitty, flogging the bishop, baking the muffin. I can go on, but I'll save that for my Kofi donors. Whatever you want to call masturbation, the obsession with its immorality inspired individuals such as Sylvester Graham to create his eponymous cracker and adopt a bland vegetarian diet, and John Harvey Kellogg to invent his cornflakes and really get into enemas. Today, that obsession continues still in concepts like No Nut November and the No Fap movement. But at the turn of the 20th century, the scourge of self-pollution also galvanized two doctors, George P. Wood and Edward Harris Ruddock, to author their Encyclopedia of Health and Home. A thick, hefty tome with a black leather textured cover, gold capital letters and a font that swirled and grows up slightly toward the upper corner, as if it has a life of its own. Of course, the version most people are familiar with has been straightened out so as to be oriented more horizontally, its upward intention bent to the will of man and possibly copyright lawyers. But life, or the study of it, is what this book purported to expound upon. And life, as Dr. Ian Malcolm says, uh, finds a way, much in the way that this book was found by Eddie Vedder at a garage sale. And an album that was originally planned to be titled Life grew and evolved into a greater concept, taking on a new identity and a new life as Pearl Jam's third album, Vitology. Welcome to Season 3 of the Better Band Podcast, an all-encompassing trip through the Pearl Jam catalog. I am your host, Brandon Palomo. Each episode, my guest and I go track by track through every album, soundtrack, and single to discover why you simply can't find a better band. Hello, it's time for season three, in which we cover Vitology. <laughs> 25 years ago, November 22nd, 1994, Pearl Jam released their third album, Vitology, on vinyl, and for 10 years it held the record for the most vinyl sales in a week until Jack White's album, Lazaretto, came out. 
Two weeks later, on December 6th, which this year there are rumors swirling around that Pearl Jam is going to make some kind of announcement, the CD and cassette were released. And it became, at the time, the second fastest selling album in history, behind their previous album, Versus. Now, Versus was the first CD that I bought, and Vitology was the first vinyl that I owned. I didn't buy it. I won it from a call-in contest, Ninth Caller, into 96.5 KRZQ, the new rock alternative. My family had a turntable at the time, so I was able to listen to it, but for the most part, I kept it hanging up in my bedroom on the little thumbtacks that, you know, stuck out so that they could rest sort of in between on the tops and bottoms holding up the uh, the record since I didn't have it framed or anything like that. Besides, it just looks so damn cool. And it wouldn't be until Christmas of that year that I got the CD for it. I asked for it for Christmas, and I knew that I was going to get it. How I knew is quite a story. It uh, involves the Ninja Turtle fiasco, as it became to be known in our family. Uh, years before, you know, when Ninja Turtles were the hugest thing in the whole world, my brothers and I asked for Ninja Turtles for Christmas. And before Christmas Day, we, of course, would have the tree all set up and there would be some presents underneath it. And I really wanted to know what was inside all those presents that were underneath the tree. They were all wrapped up. And so I kind of wondered to myself, you know, what would happen if some of the tape on that wrapping paper just sort of came up on accident. And on one of the presents underneath, I saw that some of the wrapping paper was, of course, ripped. So you just kind of pick at it a little bit to see if you can try to tell what it is underneath it. And where the wrapping paper had ripped a little bit was from a clasp um, that was part of a Ninja Turtle carrying case that you can put all the toys in and stuff like that. You put the action figures in and uh, keep them and, you know, take them to your friend's house and play with them or whatever. Or, you know, you just keep them in there so that they don't just end up being lost and all over the place. So the wrapping paper is a little bit ripped. Uh, one thing sort of leads to another. And hey, what do you know? Um, the present sort of comes open uh, I, you know, just peeled up the tape and slid the packaging out and opened it up. And of course it was Ninja Turtles and there were Ninja Turtles inside. And I also noticed that there were two other presents that were the exact same size and dimensions. So, hey, those got to be Ninja Turtles too. So my brothers and I enter a pact and... We abscond with those presents and just start playing with them in my bedroom. Uh, we, of course, flew too close to the sun and uh, my parents could see that they were presents missing from underneath the tree. They uh, asked us, hey, do you guys know where those presents are? Uh, can't really find them. And uh, on some of the presents, there's like a electrical tape instead of regular, uh, you know, masking tape or whatever, or not masking tape, regular, you know, present wrapping tape, uh, closing those things up because we didn't know where the regular tape was. We, all we had, all we knew where there was, was the electrical tape. Cause my dad just had it around the house. They had the, uh, real 
invisible tape or whatever, gift wrap tape somewhere else. So we couldn't really replace any of the tape that would no longer stick from after us peeling it up and everything. So it was after that that my parents started putting our presents inside other boxes in case we got any more bright ideas. So they would put stuff in like cereal boxes or old empty boxes of Cheez-Its and they wouldn't put the names on the outside of the presents anymore. They had little uh, letters or codes or something like that that they would write on the bottom kind of small, you know, just somewhere hidden on the uh, the presents themselves. Um, this particular Christmas of uh, 1994, uh, I figured out what the code was, so I knew whose everyone's presents were. And I noticed one particular uh, present that was like the kind of shape of a coffee can. And so I was like, hmm, what could this be? Uh, I really want to know what's inside this coffee can. So first I made sure that I knew where the tape was ahead of time, and then I peeled it up and lifted off the uh, the lid of the coffee can, and hey, what do you know? It was that uh, CD, the Vitology CD. Of course, afterwards I felt kind of guilty about it, and uh, another one of our uh, holiday traditions is that on Christmas Eve, you could open one present, and then Christmas morning, you know, you get to open everything else, so... I felt kind of bad about peeking for that present, and so I chose that one to be the one that I opened for Christmas Eve. The first time that I actually heard the album, though, uh, was before then, before I got the vinyl and before I got the CD. I was a drama nerd, so I was in the plays in high school uh, my freshman year. I was uh, was the first play I was in. It was a gender-switched odd couple, and pretty much the only reason that I was cast in that was because I could do a Spanish accent. And so this year was my sophomore year, and I was in a play called See How They Run. It's an English farce with a lot of mistaken identities and running around and vicars, whatever the heck those are. For pretty much every year in high school, we had half days in the middle of the week on, I think, like a Wednesday and Thursday and so Wednesday, we would have the first three periods or the first four periods. And then on a Thursday, we would have the other three or four periods that we were supposed to have. And, you know, they were about like double length or whatever. But, you know, at lunchtime, we got to go home instead of have lunch and then come back. So we we're just, you know, hanging out in the theater, waiting for a rehearsal to start. And friend of ours, or well, he was in the play, so of course he was a friend of ours, uh, Steve, Steve Larkins. How you doing out there, buddy? Uh, he got, of course, Vitology on the day that it came out, because he's a huge Pearl Jam fan. So he got it that Tuesday, Wednesday. He brought in the cassette tape, because he uh, recorded onto cassette. So we're sitting in the theater, pops it into the sound system, hits play, starts playing. And we're all talking and bullshitting and everything like that, and I'm trying to pretend not to be a super huge antisocial geek and be like, I need to hear this. I need to hear all these songs. Oh, what's going on? And, you know, catch hints here and there of things that, you know, heard on the radio before stuff like, uh, Tremor Christ and Nothing Man 
And then, you know, you'd have something weird like bugs come on and be like, what the hell is this? What What's going on? Or, uh, or a Satan's bed. And so you're like, oh, what the heck is this? You know, you're kind of a teenager and stuff like that. And you have Eddie Vedder singing about Satan or something like that and sucking Satan's dick. So you're like, what is going on? And so, you know, it's something really, I don't know, weird. It's, it's a definitely a departure from the other two Pearl Jam albums that came out before it. But you can definitely see the progression and where they're going and the, the fact that they're trying to make an art statement, especially when you get the book itself and you're able to look at the liner notes and see that this is like a whole concept of a thing. It's, it's, it's an art piece, not just an album that's been just shot out by some corporate rock band or whatever, trying to cash in on a popular sound, which at this point in rock and roll, pretty much everybody was doing, everybody was trying to mimic that Seattle, that alternative sound. And I think a large part of that contributes to this being a lot of people's favorite Pearl Jam album. It also signals the departure of the classic uh, first three album Pearl Jam era into the sort of, uh, I don't really care about Pearl Jam anymore uh, from no code on into the other eras of the band. For me, though, out of their studio albums, this is my least favorite uh, in the five-star ratings from iTunes. It's got a 3.2 stars just because of those weird tracks. While, yes, it does contribute to a more art piece as a whole and contributes to the concept sort of album-ish-ness of it when you're listening to the CD or the playlist or the album or whatever like that, are you really, every single time you listen to it, going to sit through Pry 2 and I, Dominita as you're listening to everything? And, you know, how many times in your life of owning this album have you listened to Stupid Mop all the way through? I mean, let's be honest here. But you take out the four sort of filler tracks and then the average score of it comes to a 3.9. So that is pretty good. And there are four songs on this album that I give five stars to that I think are probably the best songs on the album, which are Last Exit, Corduroy, Better Man, and Immortality. But as we go through the season, we'll see if my ranking or my thoughts on the album change at all. And so the third season of the Better Band podcast is focusing on the Vitology era, which is going to include episodes on the following songs. Here we go. Last Exit, Spin the Black Circle, Not For You, Tremor Christ, Nothing Man, Whipping, Pry 2, Corduroy, Bugs, Satan's Bed, Better Man, I Davinita, Immortality, Stupid Mop, or Hey Foxy Mop Handle Mama, that's me, Out of My Mind, Catholic Boy, I Got Shit, Long Road, History Never Repeats, Swallow My Pride, and My Way. So that covers the entire Vitology album, the B-side for the Not For You single, 
the Basketball Diaries soundtrack song, the Merkin Ball single slash EP, and the Fan Club holiday single from 1995. I originally planned on releasing two episodes a week for all of the Vitology album tracks, but scheduling and my work schedule, plus it crushing my soul, has kind of uh, hindered my editing process, and so I tried to get as far ahead as I could, but it doesn't look like I'll be able to do that. This is also going to have some episodes out of sequence as well, because I'm still trying to get uh, some episodes recorded with people's schedules not lining up all that well with mine. But with all the holidays coming up and everything, I do have quite a bit built up of a backlog of episodes. So Christmas, Thanksgiving, all that stuff, still going to have new episodes coming out. Some of them, like I said, are just not going to be in the album order. And so before we wrap this up and get into the actual songs on this album, I want to thank everybody who's helped me out with this season so far. And of course, with all the other episodes that have come out on this podcast. Also deserving of thanks are Bob Remington and Aurelien Merle, who have donated to my Ko-fi page. That's at ko-fi.com slash B-R-A-N-D-E-N-P. And in the spirit of season and of just giving and being a member of community that Pearl Jam pretty much instills in most of us uh, in the Pearl Jam community, I have decided that all donations that I get through the months of November and December, I'm donating to the Northern Nevada Food Bank. A little something I'm ripping off from the comedian Jackie Cation how she does her donations that she receives through her website in November and December. So if you want to give me any tips uh, in $3 denominations, that's where they're going to go for November and December, the months of November and December. Otherwise, if you want to donate to your own local food bank, which you can find by going to feedingamerica.org, that of course is for American listeners. If you make a donation there and let me know, Hey, maybe I can hook you up with a uh, bootleg or something like that as just a show of thanks and solidarity or something. That sounds like fun or something, right? Anyway, I'm sick of listening to my own voice, as I'm pretty sure you are. So let's uh, end this so that you can get to listening to me talk some more on the first proper episode of the Better Band Podcast. And saying that feels super fucking weird how I just said it there, but I guess it's sort of professional or something, eh? but pointing it out definitely is not professional. The Better Band Podcast is produced by Lisanaprino.com and Brandon Palomo and published using a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 license. Please visit creativecommons.org or email listenaprino at gmail.com for more details. All music played is owned by the respective publishers and copyright holders and is reproduced for review purposes only under fair use. You can subscribe to the Better Band Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or from betterbandpod.com using your favorite podcast app. 
You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at ListenUpReno. I am also on Twitter at Brandon P at B-R-A-N-D-E-N-P. If you would like to be a guest on a future episode, send an email to betterbandpod at gmail.com or send in the insights and stories you'd like to share, and I'll read them on the season finale episode. Again, I'd like to thank you all for listening. And as always, this is Brandon saying, Live from beautiful Laughlin, Nevada, it's the Miss American Girl pageant, brought to you by Meryl Streep's versatility. Smell like Streep for cheap.